Our scripture reading today is from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people. And the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ryan, for reading that passage for us this morning. Isaiah, we've been in Isaiah the last few weeks in this series on the gift that we are given in Christ. And this passage is is just a powerful, there's so much happening in this passage. You have the touching touching of Isaiah's lips with the coal, uh, the, the angels singing holy, holy, holy. And then you have the message that the Lord gives to Isaiah to give to the people of Judah. We're going to unpack that this morning. And the way I wanted to do that is I I just wanted to mention how history is, history is punctuated with moments. On November 22nd, 1963, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot. December 7th, 1941, Japanese attack Pearl Harbor. September 11th, 2001, the World Trade Center falls. The Pentagon is hit by a plane. A plane crashes in Pennsylvania. March 2020, global pandemic begins to shut down the world. All of humanity has been filled with these moments, these watershed events that shake people. It makes nations stop and ask the question, 
What do we do? <laughs> what do we do now? And we experience these moments on smaller scales too, right? We experience them, and they're no less disorienting when they happen on a smaller scale, whether it's within a small community or a family or even in the life of an individual. You have the onset uh, of a potentially terminal illness, for example, or the death of a parent or the loss of a child or the loss of a job the discovery of infertility and the lonesomeness that goes with it. You've got that experience of disillusionment when you discover that life is not what you expected, that God is not who you expected him to be. And this is where we find the people of Judah in this passage. We find them at this place where they have now arrived at the end of an era. Their king has died, Uzziah, and his death for them just marks a moment in time, a, a turning point. Uzziah became a king when he was 16 years old. He was a kid when he became the king of Judah. He reigned for 52 years, which is a long time for anybody to do anything at all. And he reigned for 52 years. And in those early years, he followed after the Lord. He was like his father in that he obeyed the Lord. And in, in his reign and in his rule, he brought a golden age upon the land. Second Chronicles 26 talks about it. It says that under his reign, Jerusalem enjoyed a, a vibrant economy, a strong military, glorious architecture. And Uzziah was a great king. But over time, Uzziah began to take credit for the glories of Jerusalem, and his pride was his downfall. At one moment, Uzziah was so drunk with pride that he went into the temple where only the priests were allowed to go, and he offered an offering of incense to the Lord, which only the priests were permitted to do. And the priests warned him, and they said, Uzziah, it is not right, it's not right for you to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. But Uzziah didn't listen, he wouldn't listen. He was king. And so as he burned his offering, God struck him with leprosy. And 2 Chronicles 26, 21 tells us that he had this leprosy, quote, until the day he died, he lived in a separate house, leprous and excluded from the temple of the Lord. And as it went with the king, so it went for the people of Judah. In their prosperity, they collectively forsook the Lord and everything fell apart because that's how pride works. Scripture tells us you can't serve both God and money. And it's a good question to ask why. Why can't we serve both God and money? And the answer is because you can't seek the glory of God and the glory of yourself at the same time. How do you know which one of these things you're seeking? Well, you can ask what you want your life to look like. What do you want your life to look like? Like, do you want it to look, do you, do you want to be a servant of the Lord or do you want to be a story of success? Would you rather live dependent upon the Lord 
even when it means you just can't see what he's doing, or why, how, what's to come? Or would you rather be independent of everyone and everything? If you really want to know how pride works in your life, you can just ask somebody who knows you. Uh, might have to ask him twice. But pride is so close. It's so close that even the most faithful person can become what Uzziah became. And all of Judah followed him. And now Isaiah comes along and they're facing judgment. We're going to talk about judgment this morning on this last Sunday before Christmas. And it's so appropriate to do it. The people cried out after Uzziah died, what's next? What do we do? Where do we go from here? And Isaiah was the one who was chosen to tell them. God called him to be their prophet. What's a prophet? Let's brush up on this. A prophet is a messenger of God's word. He's somebody who is set apart by God to deliver God's word to God's people. And prophets delivered various parts of basically the same message. The prophets always basically had the same message. And that message was the people's need for redemption and God's plan of salvation. Those were the two parts of a prophet's message. People's desperate need for God to redeem them and God's plan to redeem them. And so prophets would come along and they would proclaim the sin of man and they would proclaim the redemption of God. And as often as the Lord sent prophets to his people, their footsteps, the sound of their footfall was the sound of sin and redemption, sin and redemption, sin and redemption, sin and redemption. That was the message of the prophets. But what the Old Testament prophets, one of the things that, was, that belonged to them was they never accomplished the message that they proclaimed. They delivered a message but they didn't accomplish the message. And this is what sets Jesus apart from all other prophets. When we look at Jesus, he is the messenger. He's also the message. And he's the means by which redemption is going to be accomplished. It's why John opens his gospel and says the word became flesh and dwelled among us. God's message of salvation was Jesus. That was the message. He was talking about Jesus, the prophet who became the word of God. Because the message of the prophets was Jesus himself, the proclamations of the prophets were holy utterances. In fact, so holy is the message that Isaiah is going to bring to the people that one of the angels touches a live coal to purify the instrument that he would use to prophesy, his mouth. What was Isaiah's message? Sin and redemption, sin and redemption. Let's start with the first footfall, the dark one, the footstep of sin. There is a message here that is strong about sin and it's a message about judgment and it's a message about judgment that is certain and severe so come with me 
end of this and let's just walk around in the darkness of what Isaiah is saying here, what the Lord is saying to Isaiah. Because what we're going to learn is we're going to learn something very important about God that we can forget. We can forget so easily. So we look at verses 9 and 10 and we see that this judgment that the Lord is bringing is certain. It's coming. It's coming. The Lord has passed judgment on them for their disregard for his holiness. And by the time it gets to Isaiah's ears, there is no way out of it. It's happening. They are going to hear, but they're not going to understand. They're going to see, but they're not going to perceive. They're going to have no opportunity to repent and avoid this coming judgment. It is on. And then you look at verses 11 and 13, and Isaiah hears of this certain judgment that is coming, it's happening. And he asks, how long will it last? And that is where we understand that it's not just certain, but it's severe, this judgment. It's severe. It's going to continue, the Lord tells Isaiah, until every person has been carried off into exile, every home is abandoned, every field is ravaged. And it's going to be like, Judah is going to be like a forest with every tree just gone. And all that's going to remain are stumps. And this judgment is going to continue, the Lord says, until the land is utterly forsaken. It's going to be a wasteland. It's going to be a scorched earth. We're learning something about God, about his holiness. And you may hear this and you just may think, is that fair? We might be inclined to argue, how can God claim to be good and still judge like this? But if, if you want to ask that question, there's another question you have to ask. How can God be holy and not judge sin? How can God be holy and not judge sin? If God will not look upon sin, how could he not judge us, sinners, and still remain holy as he claims that he is? See, we have to understand that the holy God the maker of heaven and earth, must deal with our sin because his holiness demands it. And we must be aware, sorry, let me say that again, we must beware any other view, lest we commit the sin of Uzziah, which is to enter the presence of God as though we are just entitled to be there based on our own merits. Scripture teaches us the law of God teaches us that we are lawbreakers, all of us. Romans 3.20 tells us that God gave us his law so that we might become conscious of sin. When we say that God's judgment is unfair, that it's unfair for God to judge, what we're doing is we're presuming that he has neither the right nor the reason to judge us. And what that demonstrates is a, profoundly, a profound lack of awareness of our, I'm going to use a word, a 
profound lack of awareness of our guilt before him. Guilt. That's a word that we have all but stricken from the record in our cultural moment, guilt. Christmas makes no sense if you don't understand guilt, if you don't understand that you have guilt, because the judgment of God is certain and severe because he is holy and we are guilty of sinning against that holiness, of sinning against him. This is the sound of the prophet's footstep of sin, and it's heavy. It's a heavy footfall. Now, let's hear the sound of the prophet's footstep of redemption. If the message of the prophet is sin and redemption, sin and redemption, and if God's judgment of sin is certain and severe because he is holy, so must his redemption also be certain and severe if all that he says of himself is true, that he will redeem, and all that he says of humanity is true, that we are utterly sinful and helpless to save ourselves. If he's going to redeem us as one who is utterly holy and we are helpless to save ourselves, then his redeeming work can't be halfway. It has to be certain and it has to be as severe as his judgment is. And so we look at verse 13 and we see after all of this description of the coming certain severe judgment, you have this word but. But. And what does he say? He says, but as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be in So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. There will be life there. There will be life there. Things may look utterly forsaken, but there is life. The story doesn't end with judgment. And we see the gospel this Christmas and understand that Jesus is the holy seed that will grow from the stump of a ravaged Judah. See that God can utterly judge guilt and still keep his people for himself and see how he will do it. The way he does it is he gives us a final prophet. He gives us a messenger who will be both the message and the means of our salvation. Later in the book of Isaiah in chapter 11, Isaiah describes Christ this way. He says, a shoot will come up From the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Life, there's life. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and of power and of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the holiness of God. And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. The nations will rally to him. And his place of rest will be glorious. And in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time. And he will reclaim the remnant that is left of his people. God's redemption, as with his judgment, is certain 
and it's severe. This promise of a holy seed comes in the context of God's glory being revealed. Isaiah's there, it's this, it's it's such a strange way to describe the setting here that, that, that Isaiah's there, Uzziah's died, and he sees, he's, he's in a throne room, and he sees what's happening, Isaiah does. He's having this vision, and, and the glory of God is being revealed. You can't separate the salvation of God from the glory of God. And in verses 1 through 4, you read about it, and it says that the radiance of God is so glorious that the angels themselves are shielding themselves from it. And their song, it's, it's, it's not so much an angelic refrain as it's this thunderous proclamation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of the song, the doorposts and the thresholds of the temple shake and the place fills with smoke. And Isaiah, he, he proclaims, I'm a man of unclean lips. It's as if to say, I'm unworthy to join in this song. I will ruin its beauty if I start to join in on this song. And then he says the only thing that he could say in response to this display of majesty and holiness. And he says, Woe is me, I'm ruined, I'm ruined. He sees it. He sees the reality of the situation. I am ruined. I pray that we as a church would be quick to declare our own ruin before we trumpet the stain of the rest of the world. That that would be a starting place for us. But understand, until we understand that apart from Christ we're ruined, By the stain of sin, we have nothing consequential to say about the holiness of God. If I think I'm not that needy of redemption and mercy, I I don't understand the holiness of God. But the purpose of his salvation, the purpose of it is to reconcile those who have been ruined by sin to a God who is utterly holy, So holy, it's the kind of thing that you see described here. The angels can't even look at it. All it does is draws forth from them this song of praise and extolling the beauty and the wonder and the greatness of God. They can't hold it back. And God's means to bring about this salvation is the shoot from Judah's stump, the one who lies wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And the reason he is there The reason he's in the manger is because you were ruined. You can't be what you ought. And you may feel this now. You may feel like you are facing something that just doesn't seem possible. Hopeless even. A thicket of complication and pain. Unfamiliarity that you push through and you struggle to see how. This is Isaiah telling us, listen, listen. Without him, you're ruined. But with him, you're clean. May your celebration of Christmas be marked by your worship of Jesus, your prophet who became the word of God in the flesh in order to accomplish your salvation 
And may you find rest in that. And may he work through you to make that same salvation known to many, many others. Let me pray. Father, when you give us in your word scenes of people in the presence of your throne room where there's angels, songs about glory happening, we confess that we, (laughs) part of the limits of our minds is not that we can't imagine it, but it's that we try to imagine it. And whatever we imagine falls so short of the reality that would cause angels to lose themselves in the magnificence and the splendor of your presence. And yet, Lord, would you make us to be people who uh, defer to the perspective of angels in the places where we feel like we struggle to see uh, the magnificence of your holiness, that we would take a cue from the way the angels respond and accept that they're responding appropriately. And Lord, would you raise our hearts to that level of wonder and a desire to be in your presence, a desire to rest in your presence. Father, help us to remember the severity and the certainty of your judgment and that it's a byproduct of your holiness. But Lord, also help us to remember the severity and the certainty of your redemption, which is you pouring out your wrath upon your son who lives in our place and dies in our place and defeats the power of the grave in our place and robes us in his life forever. And may that give us deep confidence in your faithfulness to lead us in this life until you bring us home or return, whichever comes first. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.